Good morning. Today's reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It'll be on the screen behind me, otherwise you'll be able to find it in the Blue Bibles on page 1062. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thanks, Corin, and hello again. Um, Well, I'm a dad of two little kids, and I spend a lot of time stumbling in the dark. Um, The common experience at the moment is uh, sitting in their room, which we've made extra dark by covering up the windows, and just trying to help them calm down so they can sleep. Um, Finally, it's quiet for a while, and I think, all right. But of course, what happens when you're trying to ninja your way out of a room when someone's resting? Creep, creep. Ah, there's that box of Duplo. Maybe it's just because I'm tired and grumpy, but, you know, sometimes I think, oh, that's life, isn't it? You know, in a a deeper sense, do you ever feel like you're stumbling in the dark, trying to feel your way forward? You know, sometimes we cruise along for a bit, but then there's a crunch, and, oh, that choice didn't quite go how I wanted That's how John, one of Jesus' first followers, describes the world in this beautifully rich intro to his first book. Uh, We just heard Corin read it out. The the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Our world is dark. And it's not just one bumbling dad in a room. It's humanity. We're feeling our way around darkness. Darkness. It's the natural state of a world that has collectively turned a blind eye to its maker. Uh, The one best place to tell us who we are and what we're for. We humans have 
boarded up the windows so that no God can look in and tell us what to do. And the result really is life as we know it. We're all playing kings and queens and gods of our own lives, trying to feel our own path on this planet. And if I'm the God of my life and and I'm going this way and you're the God of your life and you're going that way in the dark, uh, we're bound to crash into each other at some point and hurt each other, aren't we? The question today is, how does God respond to that? Have you ever found yourself wondering if God has left us in the dark? Like, if we're all supposed to follow him, why hasn't he made himself clearer? Or perhaps this question hits you from another angle. If, if you're someone who loves Jesus, then you'll be thankful for the way God has revealed himself to you. But perhaps that just emphasizes the contrast all the more as you look out and see our culture moving further away from its Christian roots. At church, we talk a lot about reaching out to our community with the gospel. But how are we meant to do that when there are so many other things competing for people's souls? Is anyone even interested? In our grumpier moments, we can be prone to thinking that maybe darkness is taking hold. Well, today we're thinking, just just for today um, in particular, about the topic of God's mission and ours. And I'm going to try and restrain myself to just talk about what this amazing passage says about God's mission. And we're going to come back to it again in January and do a whole series in John. But today, what does John tell us about how God responds to our dark world? And we've got to know the answer to that, not only for ourselves as we fumble through life, but if we want to be part of what God is doing in the world today, we need to see the world more like he does. After all, by the end of this book, the risen Jesus will be telling his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So what does that look like in the leafy Australiana mission field of CLG? Well, I've highlighted three aspects in your leaflets there of God's response to a dark world. Point one, God came to us. So we humans have done our best to board up the windows. What does God do? Does he smash the house down? Uh, That would be his right if he wanted to. But have a look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, there's some mind-melting stuff in that verse. You know, Jesus, God the Son, is not the Father, but he himself is God. He's in close relationship with his Father, who is also God. It's one of many passages that lead us towards knowing God as Trinity. One God, three persons. But here's the point for today. This God, who is himself relational, he doesn't need us to make him feel loved. He doesn't smash down the house. He comes in. Genesis tells us that in the beginning, before God made the world, there was nothing. And into that darkness, God spoke. A word that made something out of nothing. 
let there be light. And he spoke people into being, bearing his own image. And the rest of the Old Testament tells the tragedy of humanity turning our backs on God. And so we live in this world where no one has seen God. But here at the start of John, we get this new beginning into this dark world. That very word who was with God in the beginning, God himself who spoke creation into being. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a new let there be light moment. God the Son turns up as a human being. That word translated made his dwelling there, it comes from camping. Jesus pitched his tent among us. That same language comes up in the book of Exodus for the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. So God went camping, the place where God, the perfect God, made himself present amongst amongst a bunch of wilderness wanderers called the Israelites. God's mission has always been to live with his people, the very people who turned their backs on him. And in John 1, there's this shocking transformation. The eternal word leaves his throne in heaven to become muscle and bone and toenails and teeth like you and me why would he choose that kind of camping trip well colin and lisa are model citizens of clg Uh, one night after the kids are in bed they start talking about the weekend Uh, it was meant to be a nice discussion about family time on saturday afternoon but it ends up being a fight Uh, about everything from the in-laws to the family budget. Now, after pulling out some of their finest ammunition, Colin and Lisa end up in opposite ends of the house, both kind of pottering around with household jobs and wondering what happened. I don't know if that sounds at all familiar. Now, at some point, something is going to need to happen at Colin and Lisa's place, right? And that is someone is going to have to take the initiative to repair the relationship. And whoever does that is going to find it really painful, especially if they are in the right, to cross the hallway and say, okay, let's let's figure this out. That's exactly what God does for us when the word becomes flesh. And he doesn't just cross the hallway. He crosses eternity to the dirt to do it. And unlike any other relationship where, you know, both parties probably at least have something to say sorry about, God has never done anything but love us. And we've all chosen to say no to him. Yet he's the one who takes the initiative. He crosses heaven at enormous cost to himself. Why would God the Son do that? Well, John puts it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was his idea to lower himself and become flesh and pitch his tent with us so we could know him. 
If you're checking out who Jesus is, I hope you'll take away from John 1, God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. He turned up at enormous cost. Now, a loving parent or auntie or uncle might stoop down on one knee to talk to a child, but the God who calls forth each star by name, he stoops down even lower. The God who calls each star out by name became the baby under the star in the manger so that we might be able to comprehend his love for us. That is his heart for us and people everywhere. If God took the initiative and crossed heaven for us, I think there are at least three implications for believers today as Jesus sends his people into the world. First is, we've got to move towards those who don't know him yet. God didn't wait for us to come looking. And so his people, gripped by that same love, are regularly moved outside of their comfort zones for the sake of those who are still in the dark. Sydney evangelist Sam Chan tells this story of finding himself in a crowded pub on the eve of Australia Day. He's clapping along while the crowd roars what he reckons is the unofficial Australian national anthem, Highway to Hell. I reckon he might be right. That's good. But how does a card-carrying, Bible-reading Christian end up in that sort of space? Well, it's not just for the guitar solos. He was there because his mate was in the cover band that was playing that night, and Sam and his wife have made it a point to go to the things that their friends who aren't Christian invite them to. Because if we don't go to their things, why would we expect them to come to ours? I love that. It reminds me not to wait for the spiritual conversation to drop into my lap, but to move towards. Whether it's in who we invite over for dinner or which social events we prioritise, or even how many minutes I'm willing to stand on the verge talking to my neighbour while we put our bins out, God moved towards us. That's why our church is choosing to get involved in Halloween here at the RSL, Um, There are plenty of reasons why Christians are uneasy with what Halloween is about. And hey, if you're a believer and it goes against your conscience to be involved in Halloween, I can totally respect that. But our thinking is, CLG is Halloween central. The whole suburb comes alive as people dress their kids up and connect with each other in quite a rare way. And so we want to be there. We want to move towards our local community so that they know there are Christians here who care about them. We can't just wait for people to come to us. We want to be ready to welcome them when they do. But the reality is most of the time, people come to church because they're already connected with someone here in some way. But of course, rubbing shoulders with people is just part of that great mission to move towards others with the good news. And the second implication is really about the kind of words we use when we get to speak. And the key idea, I think, is understandable speech matters. Um, God didn't send a minion to do his bidding. He didn't leave a riddle in the sunset. He came face to face. He stooped down and spoke at our level. 
I think sometimes we get intimidated by the whole idea of sharing the gospel because we imagine that it's about the knockdown argument or the spiritual sounding response to every crisis that comes up. But simple, relatable clarity. That's what God cares about. And that's something you can practice. You know, as you talk in your growth group or even out at morning tea today, how can you talk about what Jesus has done for you in a way that really makes sense for you? I dare say you'll find that exercise good for your own soul and it will set you up well for conversations to come. Um, Can I say too, we really want to value clarity in how we do church together. Um, So if you ever find something we do here unintelligible or hard to understand, please let me know so that we can rethink it. Now, being out there in the world and adapting to be relatable, I kind of hope that you're feeling a little bit nervous about that because there's something I haven't highlighted yet. Um, Third implication, with but distinct. Um, As we see John's gospel unfold, There's no doubt that Jesus is God with us. He's like us even, fully human. He got thirsty. He wept. He even died. He didn't shrink back from standing with us. Yet it's also very clear that he was distinct. He was God with us. One branch of psychology defines maturity as the ability to connect with others while staying true to your own values. Connecting with others, staying true to your values. Um, I don't really like that definition um, because it highlights how immature I can be. What does it look like for Christians today to be with but distinct? It's a dying art in our ultra-connected world, because if someone challenges my values, I can just move on until I find someone who agrees. But Jesus is the kind of missionary who hung out with tax collectors and loved them while challenging them to leave their greed for something better. We want to be with but distinct. There's no use being in that pub if you never let anyone know that there's a highway out of hell. But on the flip side, we don't want to be the people talking about heaven but with no one to share it with. Now, only Jesus gets that perfect. Which do you find trickier? With or distinct? Are you connected to those who don't know Jesus yet? Or is now a good time to start investing more in moving towards people. Or perhaps you have lots of friends who aren't Christian, but you find it hard to be distinctly Christian in those circles. If so, it might be wise to invite another Christian into that space or to make a decisive change, like I'll still hang out with that friend, but I'll swap our catch-ups to morning coffee instead of knockoff drinks, if that would be a helpful thing to do. God crossed heaven for us. And not only that, he came to be rejected, point number two. Have a look at verse 11 again. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Have you ever seen those invisible prank videos on YouTube? Do you know those ones where the family decides to act like one of the kids is invisible? 
So, you know, little Billy puts on a sheet and everyone acts really like, where is Billy? What happened to Billy? Have you seen those videos? They're quite mean. <laughs> you might like to try it with someone you live with, maybe. Um, but maybe, maybe don't, because from the couple I've seen, they always start out fun but end in tears. And fair enough, too. Like, how unsettling would it be to be in your own home with your own family and everyone's acting like you don't exist? That's what God experienced when, we, when he turned up in the flesh. And Jesus isn't the silly little brother. He's the head of the household. He stepped into his own property amongst his own people, which is everyone. But I think John is especially thinking of the people of Israel, that nation that God had given his word to in the Old Testament scriptures. When that word turns up personally, how do the scripture experts respond? It's like he's not even there. In fact, they're so busy being the gods of their own lives and using their position as leaders to dominate their fellow Israelites that they're threatened by Jesus' claim to be God in the flesh. The one who made them, who loves them, who spoke incredible promises to them, when he looks them in the eye, they look back and say, crucify him. And if that's how the Bible experts respond, what hope is there for the rest of us? Our world is so dark. When the light cracks in, even the best of us cringe away because it exposes us. John makes it clear to us, though, that Jesus knew all that, but came anyway. He chose to endure the invisible prank, to be treated like a nobody, and ultimately to die like a ragged stranger on a Roman cross. In fact, that's exactly what he came to do. Because the word of God is also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he tells his followers, don't be surprised. In chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So we can be sad when Jesus is rejected today, sad but unsurprised and unfazed. The mission is cross-shaped. I've been reading a bit about uh, Andrew Thorburn this week. I don't know if anyone else has been following that. The, the new, now old CEO of Essendon. Uh, he was called to step down not long after he started because it was found that he was also in a leadership role at his church, uh, a church that, like ours, holds up the Bible's teaching on things like sexuality and abortion. On one level, it's really distressing to see someone treated like that because of their Christian convictions, especially when it seems like he's got a track record of being anything but exclusive or bigoted or anything like that. It's upsetting to hear people attacking and maybe even misrepresenting the Jesus that I love. But John reminds us, don't be surprised. And in fact, we can be super encouraged by the gracious way that Andrew Thorburn and the pastor of his church have responded, despite being treated poorly, because the mission is cross-shaped. It's not like we just shrug and move on, though. That's not how Jesus responds. We need to be moved by his persistent grace. 
as you read John, one of the things that stands out is how Jesus always responds to darkness by holding out the light to the very end. You know, when one of those Bible experts, Nicodemus, approaches Jesus one night, shows just how little he understands about God's mission, Jesus tells him about how to enter God's kingdom. Or that darkest of all nights when Judas betrays his Lord. Jesus knows full well what he's up to. And what does Jesus do? He washes Judas' feet and he offers him the bread of fellowship. That's what Jesus does. He holds out the light. Judas rejects it and Jesus isn't surprised. But that's his posture holding out grace till the very end. Don't get me wrong, the time will come when the risen Jesus will return as judge of all, and those who have rejected God's Son will face the consequences of treating him that way. But the whole reason he came into the world is so that people might come back to him, to stop acting like he doesn't exist, to find forgiveness at the cross, And he's holding out that light in the darkness till the very end. Where would we be if he didn't? Man, if he gave up on me at the first sign of stubbornness, if my parents, my youth leaders, Christian friends moved on when I turned a blind eye to Jesus, I'd be nowhere. Who are those near and dear to you who are currently in the dark? Do you believe that they belong to Jesus, even if they've been rejecting him up until this point? Maybe as a church, we need to start praying for more miracles of Jesus switching the lights on for more people. And if nothing else, let's be known as people of persistent grace, who keep holding out the word of life, even in the dark. God came to us. He came to be rejected. And point three, he came to give life. Let me read verse 12 again. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The self-disclosing God who spoke in creation through the scriptures and ultimately in the word made flesh. What does he disclose? His mercy. Jesus came into a world that rejects him because there are those who will turn and receive him. And he will give them brand new life. The kind of glory that Jesus came to reveal is the glory of the cross where the lamb bled to secure a place in God's family for anyone who wants it. So here is the cause for little optimism in our dark world. Yes, there will be pushback, but there will also be those who take Jesus at his word and become children of God. We meet some of them in John. The woman in John 4 with a dark past of sexual immorality, Jesus moves towards her. In the heat of the day when only the outcasts are hanging around at the well, and she comes to see that this man is the Christ. And it's one of those let there be light miracles. God turns on the lights for her 
She sees Jesus for who he is and he gives her new life. Or perhaps even more unlikely, Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Unlike so many of his peers, Nicodemus comes into the light. He's there at the end of John, giving the crucified Jesus a king's burial. It seems like he too received that new birth. For the religious, the irreligious, the apparently good and the rebels, God is in the business of giving new life. And Jesus has people in every walk of life just waiting to hear the news of his grace. If you're a follower of Jesus today, think about how God did that for you. What did that miracle look like in your life? Did you receive Jesus early in your life? Praise God. Did you come to believe only after many years of stubbornness? Praise God. If you wouldn't call yourself a believer today, we're talking about new life on the table. As you check things out, why not ask a Christian friend about what that change has meant for them? It's always a miracle when someone receives new life. Notice in verse 13, it's something that only Jesus can give. Not natural descent, not human decision, but born of God. So as we think about our mission, our job is to let Jesus do the heavy lifting. That's what John the Baptist did. He was very clear in verse 8. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He knew his job. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Same goes for us. We can't make someone into a child of God. Only Jesus can, so we point others to him. Practically speaking, reading the Bible with someone is a great way to let Jesus do the heavy lifting because that way people will get to hear the challenging word or the mind-melting answer from Jesus himself. They get to meet God the Son on, their, on his own terms and it takes a lot of pressure off you to have all the right things to say or find the right segues into spiritual topics. There's a resource called Word One to One that's all about helping people do that together. Uh, it takes you and a friend through John's Gospel in a conversational way. Um, I know a number from church have really enjoyed using it. We've got a stack more available in the church office and a few up the back today ready for you to take and use. And if you'd like someone to walk you through how to use it, I know that any of the pastoral staff would be stoked to sit down with you and talk about that. It will always feel awkward, but it might be one of the most powerful questions you get to ask. Would you like to read the Bible with me? Jesus has people everywhere. And he's already turned up physically to be rejected so that they might have life. We've got a stack of opportunities ahead in term four to jump into that mission together. And it's all because of that conviction that God crossed heaven to come to us. We can't wait for people to come looking. We've got to move out driven by that same love. There are chances to meet with people from the community and let them know we're here. Halloween, Thanksgiving, we're doing something here at the RSL too. 
there are chances to invite people to hear the Bible's message about Jesus, put as warmly and clearly as we can, the life course, carols, Christmas. And of course, there's that everyday missionary work of giving people the time of day, looking for opportunities to point them to the true light of the world. What would be a courageous step for you this term as you respond to the God who turned up for you? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for coming in the flesh for us. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. Please send us out to be lights in your world, with but distinct. We pray that you'd give us as a church family heaps of joy in holding out the word of life to our community this term. Please move us with your persistent grace. And we humbly ask that in your timing, we might have the joy of seeing people brought to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.